This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we'll be talking with Scott Weibel, a structural engineer and owner at Weibel Engineering LLC, about the challenges of establishing a business and how the power of mentorship and the impact of networking can help you in building a successful firm. I'm your co-host, Matt Cardle, and this is the Structural Engineering Channel Podcast. Now, let's jump into our conversation of the week with Scott. Before we go on here, a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Simpson Strong Tie. Simpson Strong Tie is a building industry pioneer dedicated to helping people design and build safer, stronger homes, structures, and communities. Simpson Strong Tie is making a positive difference for their customers through expert engineering, world-class test laboratories, and unrivaled technical support. We invite you to consider working alongside the many talented, passionate, and humble people who are all contributing to our shared mission in an environment that supports a healthy work-life balance. It's a place where you can connect, create, and build a career. Visit strongtie.com forward slash careers to learn about our culture and why Simpson Strongtie employees are our most loyal customers. Thanks for joining us, Scott. Can you just start off by introducing yourself a little bit and about your journey going from college to becoming... Uh, the owner and structural engineer for Weibel Engineering. So my name is Scott Weibel. Like you said, I own and operate my own structural engineering company. So, you know, it's a fun job. It's it's challenging. And uh, really, it's very similar to what you do at DCI. Just a consulting engineer, I do structural engineering. The only difference being that I made the jump to working for myself versus working within a company. That's how where I ended up. But yeah, I can talk about the journey as well. Went to college at University of Washington and got a job pretty quickly out of college. And funny enough, I didn't know at the time while I was going through college, but my cousin actually owned a structural engineering company before I even knew what he did for a living. He actually approached me at a family event and said, hey, you know, I heard you're in college. I heard you like to do structural engineering. Like, let's talk about it. I talked to my cousin and he basically offered to be a mentor for me and told me, listen, if you want to go down this route, there's many different paths you can take. But what I found valuable was starting your own company. And so he kind of showed me how he does it and showed me the work he did every day. And I thought that was really interesting. So going into it, starting my career, I already had in the back of my mind, well, you know, I think I want to do this for myself one day. And I think that made a big impact. One of my favorite books is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the habits is begin with the end in mind. So, and that certainly was an advantage for me because going throughout my entire career, I always thought I was working within this framework of, well, if I'm going to have my own company one day, 
what do I need to learn now that's going to help me in the future? In the early years of structural engineering, I was always trying to learn as much as possible. I was always trying to grow. I was getting my license, you know, making that progression, taking the PE exam, taking the SE exam like you have, and trying to accumulate clients so that one day when I was ready, that I would have everything I needed to start my own company. So yeah, that's kind of the process, you know, college, job. And then once I was prepared, I made the jump, started my own company, and I've been flying ever since. So you started off with the end in mind. That's a big advantage that you always wanted to start your own structural engineering firm. You're saying, okay, I'm going to learn as much as I can. And so you work for a structural engineering firm, learn as much as you can about the industry from there. When did you know to when you were ready? I know you're probably never ready, but what was that? I'm pulling the trigger. I'm going to start my own thing. What was that? When did you know when it was right to do it? The most obvious one was once I got my SE license and I knew, okay, legally I can work on anything. So that was kind of what was holding me back. But as far as personally, I think I was ready a few years before that. And really for me, it was when I knew that I had the clients to support the business. So at a certain point in my career, I was auditing. I knew exactly how much money I was bringing into the company. I would track it in an Excel spreadsheet, every job that I did, everything that I brought personally under my billing report. And so I remember I had one year, it was like, and I was trying to leverage getting a raise from my boss as well. So, you know, I remember I went to my boss one year and I was like, Hey, I have it recorded here that I brought in $150,000 worth of business. Like, Hey, do you think you could give me a pay increase or something? It's pretty funny though. Cause he knew me pretty well. And he's like, you know, I don't think, uh, I could pay you enough to keep you here. He's like, you're making 150 for us. Like, why don't you just go out on your own and do it? And see, he kind of knew my cousin as well was mentoring me. So, you know, I didn't really have a shot at being retained by the company. So he was just like, no. (laughs) But uh, yeah, as soon as I knew I had the client base to support it, I felt ready. And then I just had to let the licensure catch up. So once I got the SE, I felt confident. I felt like I could do it. I'd been working with the same clients over and over and over. The projects were very similar and I was just very experienced with those types of jobs. So as soon as I knew I could support myself, I was ready to do it. So I think most engineers coming out of school, they want to design buildings. They don't know off the top of their head. Maybe some of them do that. They're single-mindedly, okay, I'm with the end goal in mind. I think most of them want to design buildings, move up in a firm. I think that's probably the typical career path for most structural engineers. What was it about becoming an owner, owning your own business that drew you towards that side of the industry from the very get-go? I know you were mentored. So I guess what was it about those sessions that, oh, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to pursue versus rising up in the ranks in uh, a typical design engineering firm? I guess it started with just understanding my natural talents and gravitation towards structural engineering. And that happened really early on. I remember it was like my first year in college and I was considering, well, should I do a business path? Should I do an engineering path? And then I kind of made this mental decision. Well, if I get a business degree, I could never go into engineering, but I figured if I get an engineering degree, I could probably transition into business. Um, You see that happen many times. I went for engineering in college and um, I began to look at the prerequisites I would need to transfer into university. So I went to community college first. And I realized I was a little bit behind. So I was going to have to take some advanced courses without prerequisites. And one of those courses was statics. And, uh, 
you're supposed to take physics first and uh, I didn't have physics. So I ended up taking him at the exact same time. I remember walking into that class, I was 18 years old and it was just way over my head. I mean, it was all this vector geometry and all this crazy stuff. And I did not understand any of it. I remember walking up to my professor at the end of the first class saying, I don't know, should I drop this? Like, I, I cannot keep up. This is so hard. This is crazy. And uh, I remember him saying to me, listen, you're not alone. A lot of people in this class feel that way. And uh, the fact that you came up and talked to me, I'm not worried about you. I know you're going to pick it up because you care. And so he encouraged me to stick with it. And uh, I'm glad I did because I ended up getting a, a 4.0 in that class. And I just loved it. I picked up statics really well. And I liked it way more than dynamics or mechanics and materials. Like Statics was it. And so just from that, I knew like, okay, engineering is my path. I really want to do it. And my dad had a civil engineering degree. My grandfather had an aeronautical engineering degree. And so I kind of knew, you know, I've seen that in my family and I knew I was good at it personally. That's what drove me to it. And then when I got into college and started taking a bunch of different classes, you know, I was taking, getting a civil engineering degree, just like you, and I wasn't interested in the other specializations, you know, transportation, hydro, traffic, I mean, fluids. I just really wasn't interested in uh, those types of courses. So the structural engineering courses really drew me in. And that's when I met my cousin. He told me about what are the opportunities in this course? I was told that structural engineering was not a very lucrative field. But when I talked to my cousin, he let me know it is, it could be lucrative, but you have to do it a different way. You have to go about it a certain way. So owning your own company, when I realized I was good at structural engineering and that there was this pathway that I could be an entrepreneur as well and potentially make a high income, that was really interesting to me because I'm good at the engineering part. I'm naturally gifted at that. And I've got a mentor who can tell me, you know, all the pitfalls in advance. So I, I thought I had a really good shot at becoming a structural engineer working for themselves. I had that idea in my head that I think I can make this work. And it really helps. I think of all the things that my mentor showed me is that it is possible. You can think bigger and things can work out. You can do really well thinking big and making big moves. So I just had, believing it was possible was a huge step for me. And uh, yeah, it's kind of how I had that mindset going into it. Like, I think I could do it. And I saw someone do it. I knew I was good at it. So I went for it. Yeah, and I think even having that encouragement from someone that you look up to saying that you can do it. I know as a student that helped out a lot in terms of even for me applying to grad schools, it was just having that one mentor just make you think bigger than like, okay, I'm just going to go to this type of grad school, but then no, you should apply to these bigger ones, like push yourself. And if they believe in you, then I think as a student, I, I think that helps tremendously because they see the potential in you and Something that you, you may not see in yourself, but when someone else sees it, I think it, it pushes you to be better version of yourself, like challenging yourself and, and getting to that next level. Yeah, absolutely. And you take different actions when you think bigger. So it makes an impact over a long period of time. Yeah. And sometimes it just takes someone else just giving you those words of encouragement to push you that way. You were mentioning a lot of the you know, naturally, or you picked up engineering pretty well, but as you were getting into the business aspects of things, were there things that you know you needed to work on from uh, the business perspective? So you had this end goal in mind of, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to learn or I, I'm learning the engineering skills, getting the technical stuff out of the way. But I know there's more to it than just technical math stuff in being a business owner. What were those skills that you knew that you needed to work on 
And how did you improve them as you were on your journey there? So starting from the beginning, the advice I was given from my cousin, my mentor, was to read a book called The 4-Hour Workweek, which is kind of like Entrepreneurship 101. It's a fantastic book, and I recommend everybody read it. And that gives you a lot of tips. I'll say it's not really about working four hours a week. It's just kind of a, a clickbait title, but it's a fantastic business book. And if you look top business books of all time, it's always top five. That and How to Win Friends and Influence People are really important books and had a big impact on my journey. So just reading book after book and learning the skills to operate a business. In some ways, when you're working within a company, if you're client facing, you are operating a business. You may not be the owner, but you are negotiating contracts. You are building client relationships. You're communicating. You have to be organized to get your work done. So you're already doing all of the things that are required to run a business just when you're an employee. So a lot of the books I was reading were just to help me do a better job day to day. Some of the more important ones would be staying organized. I give you a lot of credit for my organization. Actually, I was watching one of your videos, Matt, and uh, you introduced me to Trello. And it's an extremely useful tool. I use it every single day. I track everything on Trello. And uh, that's an awesome tool. And uh, how you explain how you prioritize things based on their urgency and their importance. Those are all very key points. And a lot of the books I read also reinforce that, that type of organizational structure. So being organized is really important. That's a big skill. As far as the soft skills go, you need to be good with people. You need to care about what's going on in their lives and be able to understand what they're saying and listen. So all those different soft skills I was developing over time. And what I've noticed is some people, and including myself, are maybe naturally gifted or naturally stronger in some areas and then naturally weak in other areas. So with the books, I always tried to maybe cover my weaknesses because I knew as an entrepreneur, you kind of have to do everything. And doing everything is challenging, especially if you have weaknesses. So I always tried to cover those with uh, some sort of book, some sort of like for me, it was like discipline. If I want to be more disciplined, then I would read something by David Goggins, you know, or Jocko Willink, just to, to reinforce that discipline. And for organization, there's a, a book called Getting Things Done from David Allen. And so those two books were very important to covering my weaknesses and getting me to the point where I wouldn't fall short if I was given some sort of difficult task or getting overwhelmed. As you know, structural engineers have a lot of projects going on at the same time, a lot of pressure from clients. Everybody wants everything yesterday. So navigating that is a challenge and you have to be very organized and productive in order to stay on top of it all. So that's kind of how I went about learning business skills early on. It was covering my weaknesses and, and learning to communicate better. And really, I was just looking for clients. <laughs> that was the, the biggest one is trying to make that those network connections early on in my career. I think books are uh, a huge deal. I think when you mentioned it, uh, for me, uh, in my journey, it was, what are the skills that I can improve upon? And okay, you identify the skills. How do you go about implementing that? Well, probably the first thing is to read up on it. And I think books are widely underestimated because, I don't know, I sometimes run into people that don't really read those types of books, or I don't even know that. I'll, I'll just learn it by myself. But it's like, it to me, it was always mind-bogging. It's like, okay, you don't want to read these books because uh, you you think you can learn it by yourself? Like, yeah, but for example, like those uh, 
leadership books. So you don't want to take advice from like Jocko Willing, someone that's Navy SEALs, headed through it, been through the worst of the worst in terms of situations and has dealt with different types of personalities and has like led a battalion and been through all sorts of situations. You don't want to learn from like the best of the best from like seasoned veterans. You'd rather learn it by yourself. They put in all of their experience and all of these, their lessons into one book that you can probably read in, in a night. And it's like big loss opportunity when I see that people don't really want to dig into that. And it's like, it's crazy to me. It's like, you got some of the best people getting all of their lessons into a book. Same thing with the four hour work week. Uh, I've heard that one too. That that one's really good. Yeah. Not about working four hours. What I got out of it was uh, learning about a lot of the resources that you can do. I think uh, even with those virtual assistants and doing everything by yourself, like you said, it's, you should probably get help. Like this podcast, I don't run it by myself. It takes a team to run it. And, you know, we're all working even remotely too. So I think that opened my eyes up to the possibilities of what you can get done in today's world with today's technology. And it's, I'm sure it's even more advanced today with all the technology. Yeah, that book was really far ahead of its time. It's crazy. If you, if you read it before the pandemic, it really prepared you for remote work, which is interesting. And in fact, before the pandemic, I had on my list of goals to like negotiate working from home on Tuesdays or something like that. And I had even purchased equipment and everything to get my home office ready. And I was like so ready to, to start negotiating for a remote work agreement. And then I had to work remotely anyway. And that was a huge learning curve as well. And I'm sort of glad that it, it happened before I started my company because it would have been a difficult transition if I went from working in the office to working remotely at the same time as starting a company. So having that remote work experience beforehand was super helpful. Yeah, those are, are great books. There are a few others, you know, Atomic Habits is awesome. I could give a long list, but needless to say, like if you have something that you think will improve your life, if you think more discipline will improve your life or better habits, then there's a book for that. And uh, I would say you don't even have to make it a primary activity. You don't have to sit down and, and just stare at pages on a book. You can download an audiobook and for $10, $15, while you're working, you can learn all of these useful skills that'll translate into thousands of dollars of increased revenue or increased salaries in the future. You know, these skills are so cheap to get. I mean, basically free. And then the rest of your life is going to be so improved by it. I mean, it's a no brainer. I really can't believe some people don't listen to books because it's, it has such a big impact for no cost at all. It's amazing. I know you mentioned that uh, networking and you saw the importance of that. Some engineers may not really like that. They don't see the importance of that. Could you tell them what you saw the importance of networking and how that played a part in starting up your business? Like I said before, begin with the end in mind. So if you have a goal in your career, if you want to be high up in the business, if you want to start your own company, it depends on what your goals are. But for me, with the goal of entrepreneurship, I really wanted a network of clients. I, that was really important to me and I knew it was critical to starting a company. But I would say if you do want to lead your company, if you want to move up and you're a structural engineer, really the way to do that Obviously, getting your license looks good. If people know you're a great structural engineer, that also looks really good. But you don't want to be bogged down as a technical expert within the company because then you'll just get loaded up with work constantly and other people will keep you busy. So if you want to move up, if you want to be a manager, if you want to get to the to leadership roles, you need to have a book of clients. That is 
really how you get ahead in the business. You need people who are bringing work to you. And if you get to the point where you have so much work that you have to delegate it, well, all of a sudden you have to say, hey, you know, that staff engineer over there, I need them working on my project because I have too much. You know, I need to delegate some. So just by nature of force, by having so much work, you make yourself a manager right away. It'll help and it it'll get you far in the business. So it just depends what your goals are. My goals were to grow in entrepreneurship and to have a business. And so that's why I had an early focus on it. And I think everyone should focus on it. If you don't, then it just depends if you just want to be an employee, a technical expert, a steady paycheck. Maybe it's not important. Maybe you just focus on your technical skills and make sure you do a good job. And and then, you know, you'll get raises and you'll be the the technical lead at your company one day. Maybe you don't need to network. It was very helpful for me and I recommend it if you want to move ahead. Like you said, not everybody wants to, depending on their goals, maybe they're they're fine with that. But I guess as long as they know that there's usually a cap, right? With if you're just purely technical, there's going to be most likely a, a cap on your career. Because I mean, at the end of the day, structural engineering in and of itself is a business and business, you deal with people and you work with people. And if you don't have a great network or a good network, people don't like working with you, there's going to be a cap. And I think even with the technical stuff too, with all the advances in technology and all the AI stuff, I mean, the more technical you are, maybe you can be easily replaced with a software or something, but you're not going to get replaced if you're, hey, that person can talk to the owner and get our engineering designs across to them in a way that the owner trusts and likes them. You're not going to get that anytime soon with AI. So it's like, I think it makes it a lot more future-proofing too, especially with the advances in technology. True. I mean, if you think about how structural engineering business gets money, you need to get clients under contract, you know, architects or fabrication shops, contractors, whoever is hiring you, you need to convince a, a human being that you can get the job done. You know, the scope of work is understood. And you need to get the contract signed so that you can send the invoice. So that is a, a huge way to add value to your firm. And that comes through networking. And it's not really related to technical skills. It's a, it's a different skill set that is very valuable to learn. Even for the new engineers that I tell them, it's even if you're not, you know, you're not getting into the business development side of things because you're just new. I mean, the best thing that you can do is um, have really good client interactions and service because as most businesses are, that most of the clients are, are repeat business. If they like working with you, they have good interactions, you have good communications, then they'll come back to you because they like your service. And as a young engineer, that's one of the easiest things you can do. Provide good service, be nice to talk to, be responsive. And if they come back to you with another proposal, hey, that's you. I'm the manager and I'm like kind of hands off, but you're handling all the RFIs and handling a lot of like the technical stuff and communicating well with the clients, that's on you. I mean, you maintain that relationship and they liked working with you. So they came back. That's one of the easiest things that you can do is making your existing clients happy. I'm more in the middle management roles now and, you know, a lot more business development uh, aspects to it. For engineers that are in that position, do you have any tips for them or for me in terms of uh, business development? I'm not very good at that. I never really broke out of middle management. My focus was really on my clients. It wasn't really on office politics at all. So the people who were very successful, honestly, you know, they had the technical skills. They understood 
contracts, getting scope of work done, getting work under contract. But really, the ones who made us the top, they did two things. One of them just worked crazy hard and proved themselves in so many different ways. You know, there's this one girl at SSF, her name was Francesca, and she was the leading all of these different organizations. And she was writing existing building codes and was featured on all these magazines and stuff. And, you know, just blown out of the water. Like, so she's going to make it to the top of the company, 100%. So you can just work your way to the top and... Just, and you know, it's kind of that X factor where you're skilled, but you're also confident and you also bring in work and you sort of do it all. You just show that you're a top player in the company. So that that's one route. And I think the other route, honestly, is to uh, really have a good relationship with the owners of the company and the principals at the company. You know, this one guy who was just young manager making his way to the top, he would just talk about hunting and shooting all sorts of different fun activities with the owner of the company. And they would just, they were friends. They would go golfing, you know? So there was that sort of friendship relationship going on. I don't know exactly how he did it, but he was able to have a strong relationship with the leaders at the company. And uh, it was understood that he was getting trained for upper management. So you just need to kind of have that agreement in advance. And I think actually I was talking to him. It was talked about in his entrance interview. He was interviewing for his job. He made it clear, I want to be a manager. So they hired on, him on as a project engineer slash project manager. And, and the point was that it was agreed upon he was going to be trained to be a manager. So that was a part of the negotiation in the beginning. So, you know, you just have to be very vocal about what your wants are within the company, how you want to grow. And you need that kind of agreement from above, like, oh, okay, if that's what's going to keep you here. And, and, and you're on that level. We will train you for that. So you have to be open and honest with the leaders above you. And uh, there kind of has to be an agreement there. And there has to be some communication skills and some networking skills. And you just make your way to the top that way. So I was never really good at either of those two things. So I never really made it up like that. <laughs> but I've seen it happen. Before we go on here, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the FE and PE exams the first time. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. So start your own business. I know it's easier than it sounds. There's a high fail rate. But for you, you had a lot of help. You had a lot of mentorship. How did you go about finding your niche in the industry and finding that? It was sort of random luck. Opportunity is where preparation meets luck or something like that. And uh, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. I was hired at exactly the same time as another engineer, and we sat next to each other. This other engineer had come from a business where, unfortunately, there was an insurance claim. They lost their insurance. They weren't able to work anymore, and all of the employees in the company had to leave. And so our company, SSF, was picking the, those employees to hire this one guy, and he had this aluminum client. And really didn't want the client. You know, he sort of used it to leverage his way into a management position because he, he ended up training me to do the aluminum stuff. And then he delegated it to me. And by the end of it, he was just like, you do it. I don't really want to do that type of work. You know, he, this particular engineer was extremely passionate about renovating historical buildings. And uh, he didn't really care so much about the aluminum stuff. And at the time I was just 
in my first few months, maybe first year or two of engineering. And I was just thinking like, well, I'm just here to learn. I just want to learn everything. So I treated it. I didn't really know the difference. I was learning wood really for the first time out of college. I was learning steel. I was learning concrete, masonry, and I was learning aluminum. And it was just one of the many things, one of the many structures I was learning about. And I became really good at it. And uh, it got to the point where people in the office, it was like a brand within the office. People started saying, oh, Scott's the aluminum expert. And they started talking about me in that way. And oh, you and your aluminum client, because there was really not too many people in the office. There was maybe one other guy with an aluminum client. And so I just became the in-house aluminum expert over time. And eventually that other engineer, he got pretty busy. I don't know. He didn't want to manage that client anymore. So he actually requested that client get moved over to my book of work. And so I was managing it at the company I was at. We actually sent out invoices ourselves and managed our own clients within the software. And so that was my first real big client. And it was a aluminum client. And I remember at the time it was like $60,000 a year worth of work or something. And so when that happened, I was so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, 60,000 a year. Like, you know, I could really cut back. And like, if I started my company and I just have this one client, like I could eat, maybe pay rent. And so it, it made a big difference in my mindset of like, okay, this is happening. I just get like one more, like I'm good to go. I can start my company. So that was my mindset. And being the aluminum expert in the office helped a lot because then whenever an aluminum client came around, nobody else really wanted to learn a new code. So they would just give me the client. They would say, hey, Scott, you take this client. Nobody else really wants to do the aluminum stuff. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll take it. So I got another client that way. That was another $60,000 a year client. And then I was thinking like, okay, I can like replace my income now. So that was it. Two clients. And I was pretty much thinking, all right, when can I quit? So yeah, I was just right place, right time. I was trained up on it. I, this other engineer was quite talented as well with aluminum design, taught me how to do it. And it, it's interesting. So we're talking to, there's probably students and structural engineers listening to this podcast, but if you go into ASCE 716 or the IBC, you go to chapter 20, that's the section on aluminum. And it's just one blank page. It's like, I don't know, reserved for later, or you know, there's like a half a sentence. There's really nothing about it in the code books. There's not really a course you can take in college. So aluminum design is, is really niche. It's very small and people don't learn it very often. So having that knowledge separated me from other engineers in the office. And it made me much more valuable to my clients because I was not as easily replaceable. When I left, they didn't really have that many options. And in fact, when I started my own company, it was interesting. It coincided with someone retired and a couple other engineers changed firms. And all of a sudden they didn't have any other engineering coverage. So I'm kind of like the guy for all of my clients. It's awesome, but it's also a curse sometimes because I'll get overloaded with work and I'll say, hey, you know, I'm at eight to 12 weeks. Maybe if you could find another engineer, this might be a good home for it. Cause you know, I hate to give you bad service and take a long time to turn it around. And now you sort of get the reply. I'm sorry, but we don't have anybody else. Like you're it. So get it done as fast as possible. Like do what you can, you know? So I'm facing that right now. I have uh, too much work on my plate. I can't really get rid of it, you know? What have you learned when you started to run your own business? What were some of the key obstacles that you needed to overcome? What were some of the things that were worth it? So there's probably things that was like, oh, this is really hard. I got to get through this. But then what about the pros too? It was like, oh yeah, this was definitely worth it. The biggest challenge was actually extremely surprising to me. You know, I thought I was ready. I talked to my mentor and I did not see this coming, but 
it's actually really challenging to get professional liability insurance. I didn't give it a second thought. I was like, oh yeah, I'll just, you know, pay for it. It shouldn't be a big deal. Just talk to a broker and get some insurance. But actually, and this was terrifying to me because I had already left my job at the time, you know? And so sort of, I had like 30 days left before I left. So I was trying to get everything set up in time. And I remember talking to the insurance broker, like, okay, well, shop me around. Let's get me some insurance. And it, she came back in a few weeks. Actually, I emailed her again. I followed up. I was like, hey, so where's my insurance? Like this deadline's coming up quick. And apparently she had sent out my application to eight insurance companies and seven of them didn't even reply. And uh, the one that did reply said, oh, he's too small. Can't afford it. You know, he's not doing enough work. And I was just terrified. I was like, what do you mean I can't get insurance? Like, okay, that one person who said I couldn't afford it, I was like, just throw a high number at him. Like, just tell him I'll pay, whatever. Like, I need it so bad. So if she went back, she's like, hey, he'll pay it. Just give us a quote. And so it, it came back, I think it was like $16,000. I had to pay him in like a week or something to get signed up. And I was like, it is what it is. Like, I just need to, need to work. So getting insurance is tough. And then my clients immediately told me after that, oh, you didn't get enough insurance. So, but once I was in, it was easier to bump my policy up to what they needed. So getting insurance was, was a challenge. And that was really stressful because there was that wonder of like, am I going to have to call everybody and be like, hey, sorry, I, I thought I was starting a company, but I can't, you know, like that was terrifying. And it was totally out of my control too. So I'm really glad that it, it worked out, but it was a bit of luck there. It happened that way, that I was able to get insurance in time to, to the work other challenges, really um, just motivation, you know, waking up early and working hard. That's It's always hard working from home. And I've tried adjusting a few things here and there. I rented an office space that we work for a while, hoping that would help my productivity. And that, that did help while I was there, but the commute time was kind of annoying. And it was pretty expensive to have the office space and spend all that on gas. There haven't been too many challenges. You'd be surprised. It's It's almost the exact same as working at a company. I mean, I have to do all my own drafting. That's a learning curve, but it, it's actually not that difficult to do drafting. AutoCAD's really good software. And I'm trying to think. It's just dealing with all the pressure, I think, is the biggest challenge. I get constantly emails, hey, this is really important. You focus on this, focus on this. Another job comes in, a big job will come in, and I'll want to focus on that, but I have all these other jobs in the way of it. And just prioritizing can be so challenging. I think I counted yesterday. It was I have 22 active jobs right now in different phases, you know, that some are, I need to provide a proposal for it. Some are, I'm in the middle of working on it and some are CA work, you know, some change, something needs to be revised. It's hard dealing with all that pressure all the time from all my different clients. Cause you know, I really want to do a good job for them. And so I want to get it done as soon as possible, but it's very challenging dealing with all of that pressure. So to answer the second part of your question, is it rewarding? Uh, yes, this is very rewarding. I love owning my own company. I love working for myself. It's awesome. And uh, in many different ways, obviously, the biggest one is it's financially rewarding. You know, you make significantly more working for yourself than you do working at a company, a lot more. So that helps a lot. It helps being able to, to delegate certain things, you know, hire a landscaper so I don't have to spend time doing that. I can focus on the business instead. Being able to hire an accountant is nice because now I don't have to do my taxes anymore. So just small things like that, being able to delegate things out is really helpful. Honestly, one of the biggest helps is uh, being able to buy my own software, being able to buy my own equipment. I remember during the pandemic, all of the engineers had to work from home, but 
we weren't really supported with the, the right equipment. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, you can bring your desktop computer from the office to work. And if you come in, you just lug your desktop around. So like we didn't get laptops for I think 14 months or something. So I remember even I was telling my manager how we had a VPN in order to connect with the office network to store all of our files and whatnot while I was working at SSF. And it was very laggy and not reliable. And so I just started doing everything through the cloud was so much easier and uh the company wouldn't support the cloud storage so i had to pay out of pocket it was like eight dollars a month or something but it was worth it to me because you know i just wanted that control i didn't want to be limited by the company my manager once told me he's like yeah i can't do that because i keep running out of space i'm like "Eh, it's eight dollars you know just just do it i know the company's not paying for it but it's it's, you got to do what you got to do i like that um being able to have whatever software i need just get it whatever equipment I need. I want a really cool mouse or a keyboard or, you know, dual monitors, a nice, fancy, powerful laptop, anything I really need to support the career I can get, which is nice. And you don't have that freedom while you're working at a company. Yeah. You're a lot more agile. If you need something, you don't have any politics to get in the way. Just do it. Exactly. It's nice having control over my own time. You know, if I didn't want to take a Tuesday off, I don't have to ask anybody, you know, I just have to make sure that I can do that and my clients are taken care of. So there's a lot more flexibility, which, you know, it's a double-edged sword because sometimes I'm working on weekends because something important came up on a Tuesday. It is what it is. You know, you work when you have free time and it's more flexible. And I would say, honestly, the best thing about having my own company is that I was able to uh, tell my wife that she doesn't have to work anymore. So that's been really cool. And actually she's pregnant right now with our little baby. Uh, so she's 14 weeks pregnant and she'll be a stay-at-home mom. And we'll be able to to afford that. Just really, really nice. And uh, she's able to help me with the company sometimes too. go, you know, pick up the checks or she did my logo and my website and other things like that. So being able to work with my wife and uh, being able to free up her time so she can do things so I can focus on the business. It's a great lifestyle. It's a great dynamic. And I'm really happy it's working out that way. This Sunday, actually, we get the, the gender is going to be revealed for our child. So really excited for that. Oh, congrats, man. Thank you. From that, it seems like you got the, I feel like engineers, their issues starting a firm would probably be clients. It looks like you got that pretty well since you knew from the beginning how to develop client relationships. So you're kind of just running the technical stuff and you got the clients and you got the business going, right? Because you got both of those those aspects going. And I'm curious about your mentorship too. I know you had a mentorship relationship. How did that play into all of this? Was there a lot of guidance, someone that you could talk to uh, whenever you had questions about that? It's less than you think. Honestly, it was just some interactions at key moments. And uh, I would go months at a time without talking to my mentor. And uh, and that was okay. But it was if something important came up, then, then I would reach out. So early on, it was reading the four-hour work week. That was really important. And uh, and really, my first bit of mentorship advice from my cousin was to get my license as early as possible. In fact, I flew to California to take the PE exam down there, get it done early, because the earlier you take it, I think the better you do. It's a lot of, of the things you learn in college are tested on the exam. So waiting four years is challenging and you forget more things. So having been able to take it with two years of experience in California was an advantage because less time had passed by and I just found it easier to pass that exam in California and just getting it out of the way. You know, why wait? If you can do it early, just do it. You'll forget it. I think even now they, 
the students can actually take it much earlier. I think like even right out of school, they can take the, the eight hour exam in California, but they still have to wait for surveying and seismic. They need to wait like two years for surveying and seismic, but the general PE, they can just take that right out of, I think almost right out of school. It's not like in our day. I know, right? That's awesome. So you're licensed in California. That means you took the surveying exam, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. That, wasn't that the hardest exam you ever took? I mean, I put it right up there with the SE. That was crazy. Oh yeah. I barely passed their surveying one. It was, uh, if I was to do it over again, I would have prepared a lot more because I definitely underestimated it. And it was a miracle that I passed. I, I must've gotten lucky because I felt like that was the worst exam I've taken. <laughs> it was brutal. It was so bad. I feel sorry for all the people that aren't taking the seismic. They're like water engineers and they're got to take all the seismic stuff. That's kind of like second nature to us. So it was like, okay, they needed to put something for the structural engine because everyone else has to take both of them. So that's, yeah. I actually have a funny story with the, the surveying exam. Not only was it really hard, but I was at a bit of a disadvantage because I showed up to the test site with the same calculator that I used at the PE exam. And, uh, it basically, I walk in there, they look at my calculator and say, this calculator is not allowed. I'm like, what do you mean? It's approved for the PE. I can't take it here. And they're like, yeah, there's letters on it. So you can't walk in here with that calculator. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, what the heck? My exam started in like five minutes. I'm like, ah, what do I do? <laughs> so I like hop in my car real quick. I drive to the nearest stables and I buy like the first calculator I can find. And it is this terrible, like $7 calculator with no memory, no functions. It's basically just, it had multiplication and division and that's about it. And it, you couldn't even use your previous answer in your next answer. So it was just a terrible, terrible calculator. And I was so nervous at the time. I like jumped back in my car and I turned my key to turn on the car and I broke the key. And so I just had a, like a broken nub inside you know, the ignition. And I was barely able to turn it over just to get the car started. I drove back to the exam site and they just barely let me in. And I now had to relearn this calculator from scratch. And I was scrambling. I would type in something on the calculator, write it down on paper, type in another thing, write down on paper. I don't even remember some of those error corrections require like, yeah, I don't know, 40 different mathematical equations. I had to write down each answer and then average them at the end. It was just, it was brutal. I don't know how I passed, but it was a uh, I was just stressed out of my mind taking that exam. You did that on hard mode. Yeah, seriously. That was not easy. Did you have any final piece of advice that you can give to engineers uh, looking to start their own business? Have a clear goal in mind. Know exactly what you want and make a plan. If you need mentorship, look for people who can mentor you. And you could even reach out to me info at weibleengineering.com, W-I-B-L-E engineering.com. Shoot me some questions. It's use that resource. If you know someone in your office, ask them, get yourself a mentor, start reading these audiobooks, and make sure that you are really, really good at what you do. You have to be talented. You have to be able to do the work. Honestly, you should have your SE license. If you want to start your own company, that's the level of skill you need to get to. And if you can't get that license, then maybe you're not good enough to be an entrepreneur. So that's the cold, hard truth. Like, you have to be really good at your job in order to do everything yourself. Otherwise, you're just taking too much risk. You can make a mistake. And in our field, you can't make mistakes, right? I mean, people could die if a structure fails. So there's zero room for error. You have to be at the top of your game and you have to have all of the skills. But it's very doable and it's very rewarding. So make a plan, follow through, take daily actions, and you can do it. 
thanks for all the the lessons too. That was really cool. And it was really great to see what that journey looked like for you and all the lessons learned that our viewers can take away from it. So thanks a lot. Thanks, Matt. It's great to meet you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. To leave them, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources or websites mentioned during this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.